0: All right, good deal. Let's let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your love tonight. Thank you for your hand upon our lives. Thank you for your presence in this room. Father, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And Lord, we're led by Him tonight. We're led by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, tonight for what you have prepared for us. And Father, so much of what you have for our lives begins with us just showing up, Father. So thank you. For those that have shown up here, those that are tuned in online, I thank you, Father, for working powerfully in our lives tonight through your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. Father, we pray for our friends, uh, Nick and Mandy tonight. We thank you for your hand upon their lives. We thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. And we just thank you, Lord, for your comfort and your peace. And Father, as we um, open up our hearts now to receive from you, Lord, we uh, bring faith to the forefront. Um, and, and Lord, we reach out now and believe You for utterance from Your Holy Spirit. Father, may my spirit, soul, and body become a portal through which Your wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space. Lord, not just information tonight, but revelation and impartation. Lord, that's what we ask You for and believe that we receive now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Alright, if you have your Bibles tonight, open them with me to the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, um, and that's, that's where we're going to uh, dive in tonight, praise God. Uh, I love where we were last week in uh, John chapter 3. Um, I've got lots of favorite passages and chapters, verses, sections in the scriptures, and John 3 is right there on, on my uh, list of favorites. And I'm tempted to go back there tonight, but we're going to keep moving forward. Um, I always, when we get around class 34, I'm always thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't have done so much reviewing at class number 5. So uh, so class number 5, amen. Some of you were telling me before class that you've been able to access uh, the recordings and, and that sort of thing. And so, uh, amen, apart from maybe just a few mentions, we're not going to go back to those verses and look at them in detail. One of the key points that we've made in the beginning uh, class is uh, talking about discipleship and what discipleship is for, and what it's about, is this truth from the Scriptures that every born-again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. And we see that there's a great need in, in our world today, just like there was tremendous need in the world when Jesus was here in the flesh, and He looked at His staff, the 12 men that were on staff with Him, and He didn't just say help, He said pray for help. Because he recognized that not only was it something more than he could do as a man, as one man, it was greater need than, than 13 of them. And then we know we, we talked about those 70, right? And so, there's a great need in our world and, and we as the body of Christ are, are that workforce. We are Generation Christ. We are, you are that royal priesthood, that holy nation. His own special people. Um, you may not have ever had that explained to you before now, um, you may have never even thought of yourself in, in that light, but, but my brother, my sister, that's the truth, amen. Now one of the things that I want to begin with tonight before we look at the verses is when we talk about, um, I, I don't mind the term, but it, it does need some explaining, um, but I'll just use it anyway, the, the, the term is spiritual growth. The idea of of your individual growth and development, my individual growth and development, Um, we see that, you know, sometimes the world uses the terminology, your growth as a person. Well, again, that's kind of a general term. Um, The actual words that the Bible uses is that as born-again believers, we are growing up into Jesus in all things. And I did it when I was a kid, I watched my kids do it when they were young, and what I'm referring to is when I would slip my little small feet into my daddy's big old shoes and clomp around the house, right? Well, um, I think my foot's a little bigger than my dad's uh, today, but back in those days it was not. In other words, when we were born again, Galatians says that we put on Christ. We put on Christ. And we are now in Christ. Christ. We put Him on, we are in Him, and now we are growing up into Him. And the Scripture says in Ephesians, in all things, in every area of our lives, we're growing up into Jesus in all things. So this is spiritual growth, this is spiritual development. The long-term answer for any life problem is growth. Amen. I don't um, uh, suck on a pacifier anymore, but I did that when I was a baby. And, and just as I outgrew that, there's a whole lot of other things in life that I have, I've outgrown them. Amen. I've grown past them. And when we talk about things that we struggle with and deal with, obviously we'll always have devils and demons to deal with. As long as we're on this earth, we'll have this flesh to deal with. Amen. But as we grow and as we develop and as we mature, it's not just about becoming um, uh, you know, stronger in, in our ability to, to deal with adversity and obstacles and and growing up in our faith, but it also involves us becoming more effective, more fruitful, more productive, um, a, 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 what's the word, beneficial even, um, to the body of Christ and, and what it is that we're called here to do. Remember, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation to the fulfillment of your destiny. And, um, and of course, you know, there's a lot of growth in between those two points, Right. <laughs> You know, we we can't fulfill our destiny um, at this point because we've we've still got some growth to do uh, in, in order to be more effective at that, in order to, to be more um, fruitful um, in those things. Productive is another word. Effective is another word um, that uh, that I'm looking for uh, this evening. Now, I, I say all that to say this: it's yet another reason why not only understanding ministry is important but participating in ministry is important because you can only grow so far up into Jesus as a born-again believer um, without ministering, without getting beyond yourself and doing something for somebody else. The Bible uses as parallels the same general stages of growth that we see in in a human being. Um, A human being goes from a baby Um, to a child, and then from a child into, just generally speaking, adulthood. Um, Obviously, there's teenage and young adult and that sort of thing, but but just generally speaking, you have those who are as spiritual babies, you have those who are as spiritual children, and you have those who are as spiritual adults. Amen. And some of the characteristics um, of that, if you think about it for a moment, Um, A a baby is one who's totally dependent upon others. Um, Let's just use this one aspect of life, food. A baby is totally dependent upon someone else to prepare the meal, to feed them the meal, um, and and if if that doesn't happen, uh, that baby is not going to survive. That's how dependent that baby is on someone else, okay? Then we see that as we become children, we still need someone to prepare the meal for us, but we're now able to what feed ourselves. We don't need somebody to put it in our mouths any longer, um, and, and we move up into more solid food. Okay, um, But then an adult, this is someone who can prepare a meal for others and feed it to them. Are you, are you seeing what we're talking about here. So, as, as long as we are in a place in the body of Christ where we depend upon somebody else to feed us, we depend upon somebody else to do it for us, we depend on somebody else to serve us, and we never take that next step into serving. Let's, let's look at it from a natural growth perspective. As a human being, you can only develop so far in life Uh, with somebody else doing everything for you. At some point, you have to take on some responsibility. At some point, you have to start doing things for yourself, and then, praise God, hopefully, start doing things for somebody else. Amen? You know, I I remember when uh, I was a single man, then, praise God, I married Pam. uh, And, you know, people talk about, I've heard, you know, in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, things like that over the years, you know, how... You know, a lot of uh, young men, they have this kind of coming-to-themselves moment when they're about to take a bride and and realize that weight of responsibility. For me, that didn't happen when Pam and I got married. I mean, I was just excited and in love, still am, 32 years later. And and, um, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I've got a, a woman to take care of now or something like that. But when I did have that experience was when she gave birth to Bethany. And when I held Bethany in my arms, I, man, life just got real. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, whoa, right? There's somebody else now, right, that, that needs me to be who God created me to be. And, and so notice now, taking on that responsibility and, and that responsibility, placing a demand on my potential, uh, was instrumental in helping me grow and develop as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a minister, as a pastor. Uh, all throughout the the spectrum of my life. Amen. So when we talk about ministry, this isn't just like, well, okay, Pastor Mark, when are you going to get past all this so we can get to that other stuff? Um, The other stuff will never make really sense to you or be as meaningful to you as it needs to be until you understand these foundational principles, these foundational truths. So again, the long-term answer is spiritual growth and development. And you cannot grow spiritually and develop spiritually if you never step out in faith to do ministry. If it's only about coming to church and somebody serving you, if it's only about coming to church and somebody else fixing you a meal and you enjoying it and, and then you going on about your, your life, you're, you're going to hit a ceiling that you will never grow beyond you will never grow beyond. I'll show it to you in the scriptures here in just a moment. Hebrews 5, don't turn there, stay 2 Corinthians where you are. But Hebrews 5, the writer of Hebrews, he, he talks to them. He says, You've been saved long enough that you should be serving others, but you still need somebody else to serve you a bottle. Right? Amen. I can't tell you how many times over the years that I wish I could just reach over in my drawer and pull out a bottle of grow up pills. Right? Because people sitting across the desk from me, if they would just grow up, they wouldn't be struggling with some of the things that they're struggling with. Amen. So, ministry is, is a key milestone in, in your walk with God and in your spiritual growth and development. And again, if you continue to refuse to do it, I'm not saying you're refusing to do it, I'm just saying if, if an individual refuses to do it, they're, they're, they're not going to grow uh, they're going to hit a ceiling, a plateau, that they will, they will never break through. This is why the enemy, the enemy knows this, whether the body of Christ understands this or not. And this is why the enemy, uh, you know, fights against this uh, so strongly. Uh, he does not want people serving God. He does not want people doing the work of the ministry. You've seen that uh, maybe on people's front door, a little brass plaque or cross stitch somewhere hanging on their walls, as for me and my house, that beautiful verse out of Joshua, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there's so many folks that it just strikes a chord somewhere in them, and yes, amen, Pastor Mark, that's me, right? But people think coming to church is serving the Lord. They think coming to a class is serving the Lord. My friend, this is where you're being served, right? Serving the Lord involves actually doing something, some act of service for Him. Amen. And my, 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 how our growth begins to explode. I have seen explosive growth in people when they finally got up out of the pew and started doing something to serve the Lord and His people. Alright? So, as we begin tonight, ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. Now, as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, beginning at verse 14, Uh, These verses are the biblical platform for what we call discipleship counselor training class. In other words, the the entire uh, 36 weeks rest upon um, these verses right here. I know know that may sound like an exaggeration, but I assure you tonight that it is not. As a matter of fact, for the first probably ten years or eight, nine years of this class, class number one, we open the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But what I realized that I would do after that is then I would, I would talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but then it's like I would park that and say, now let's go back and, and get a, uh, an overview of discipleship and what it is and what it means and what it's about and why God has it in place and so forth and so on to kind of build ourselves back up to that place. If you've ever seen someone build a retaining wall, you understand what a retaining wall is? Uh, they go out there and they build that wall and then they come in and they backfill, all right? Sometimes we do that. I've learned over the years that that's not always the best way to, to teach folks, right? Uh, because there's things that, that need to be put in place like we've already established uh, so that those things will, will have the greatest impact on their, on their hearts and minds. So now we're five weeks in. Uh, And we're where we used to start, um, but on purpose, okay? Now, um, tonight, there's a lot that we're going to pull out of these verses. I want you to become so familiar with these verses. Um, We're going to turn to them many times, okay, refer to them many times. But what we find in these verses is a phrase that I now have in the form of a title and that phrase is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Because you know, you may be here tonight or watching online tonight and you say, well, Pastor Mark, I, I really don't believe I'm a pastor. I really don't believe I'm an evangelist. I really don't believe that that God has called me into one of those areas of ministry. Well, amen. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. All right. But every born again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. And every person who has been reconciled to God, and that's part of our salvation, being reconciled to God, has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me say it another way. The ministry of reconciliation doesn't come under pastor. Pastor comes under the ministry of reconciliation. You, f- you follow what I'm saying? In other words, the, the ministry of a, of, a, of a pastor is all about reconciling men and women to God. So, um, this ministry of reconciliation is a ministry that has been given to every person born-again believer, and so that's what I titled this section, The Ministry of Reconciliation. Now, let's begin, um, and I'll put them on the screen as well as we work our way through. But it says this in verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we have known Him thus no longer. Let me stop right here. I'll probably come back and comment a little more on these verses and the ones that are to follow. But this is an amazing crossroads of the Scriptures. Okay, And what I mean by a crossroads of the Scriptures is that you have many different biblical avenues that all intersect in these eight verses. And that's by design. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the one who authored um, these words through the Apostle Paul. And it is of no coincidence that we have multiple things, multiple truths, important truths, my brother and my sister, Amen, intersecting right here. Because again, it's important for us to not just see these things as stand-alone stand alone truths, but to see them in light of and in their connection to all of these other important truths. Okay, Now, one of the first things, of course, that we see here is this love of Christ. Amen. And the love of Christ, of course, uh, doesn't just begin with Jesus in the New Testament, but it's an eternal love. In the sense that, well, in the sense that God is love and God is eternal, but in a more practical sense, um, the scriptures teach us that Jesus loved us before Adam and Eve were ever created, and that he agreed to come to this earth and pay the penalty for the sin that we've all committed before we were ever created. So he loved you before you ever existed. Amen. So, this love, this overwhelming love, this unending love, this unconditional love. Amen. Paul said that it had a compelling effect upon him. The King James Version uses the word constraineth. And the idea, of course, is that Paul had such an understanding, such a a revealing of, of the depth of God's love for himself, the love that God had for him, But at some point, Paul began to realize that if the Lord God loved him this much, he loves every other human being this much as well. And it was an understanding of this love that compelled the Apostle Paul to do what he did in service to his King and Master on this earth. Amen. That word, um, I was going to do an overview and come back to it, but while we're here, let's go ahead and mention it and then we'll move on that word compel, constraineth, y'all know me, I like pictures and mental pictures, mental images. And um, the first time we ever took a group, I think it was a group from the church, we, we went bowling one night. And this was the first time that I had ever been bowling, not in my life, but the first time I'd ever been bowling, that they had this new feature where you could put bumpers up and it made it impossible for the children or for those who bowl like children to bowl a gutter ball. If if the ball was going off course, it would hit the bumper and bounce back and bounce back and it would constrain it. Are you hearing me? It it compelled that ball to its that bowling ball to its destination. And and when I saw that and and then this verse, that's the image that I have. Um, Paul had such a revelation of the height the width, the breadth, the depth, the full dimension of God's love, which passes the ability of the meek computer to understand. It has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. But Paul had such an understanding of the full dimension of God's love that it literally created those bumpers um, in his life that even when he would try to go off course, the love of Christ would constrain him back on course, right? sounds like something that John also understood. When the Holy Spirit through Him in 1 John 3 said, He who has this hope in Him will purify Himself even as Christ is pure. It becomes this motivating factor compelling us, motivating us to get the garbage out of our lives and to pursue God's highest and best for us. Now, when he says because we judge thus, it doesn't mean like judge, criticizing, being critical, looking down on people, judging people. It means we've reached a conclusion. We have come to a determination and this is what we have determined that if one died for all and notice it's a capital O so this is referring to Jesus then all died amen now again another very important truth doctrine is simply a system of teachings a system of truths so another important doctrine that intersects here in 2 Corinthians 5 is this idea of Jesus, or not, it's not an idea, well, it was an idea before it ever happened, but it's not an idea anymore, it's a reality, is this reality of Jesus being our substitute. Amen. I'm going to give you a big word like mayonnaise, okay? Substitutionary work, alright? His substitutionary work. Anybody remember the substitute teacher in school? Right? Amen. So, the idea here is that Jesus came to be your substitute. He came to be Your substitutionary representative. He came to make a covenant as you, for you, with God on your behalf. And He did it as a man. He did it as a human being. And the Scriptures teach, and we'll get to this at a later point, but just to give you an overview here of what we mean by substitutionary representative. Paul said it this way. He said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In other words, when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. When Jesus was raised, I was raised with Him. When Jesus went to sit at the right hand of God the Father, like we talked about last week in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that I, and if you're born again, you are now seated together there with Him. Because, again, this is what we mean by Jesus coming to represent us all. Remember, Adam uh, in the garden He represented us all, and when He sinned, the Bible says we all sinned. Amen. Now, this is why Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the last Adam. The last Adam. Because just as the first Adam was a a fountainhead, all humanity flowed from Him. We see that Jesus comes, and now all born-again humanity flows from Him. So, before we were born again, what was true of Adam was true of us. Now that we are born again, what's true of Jesus, come on now, is true of us. Praise God. So this is what he's referring to here. That if one died for all, and he did die for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live. So he didn't die so we would be dead. He died so we could live. Amen. That those who live should live no longer for themselves. Come on now, it gets old living for ourselves, doesn't it? We've been there done that, man. That's not that's not where the sweet spot of life is living for ourselves. And we're learning that, praise God, its growth, its maturity, its development. See, again, if you only live for yourself, if it's only about you and what you can get out of it. I asked the Lord one time, I said, Father, you know, we we would have these services at heritage, man, where I'm talking about like well, for those of you that are here a couple of Sunday nights ago, man, just the gifts of the Spirit, people being just blasted in a good way by the power of God, you know, and I'm talking about just such an amazing outpouring. Um, and I don't know, it, it was probably for the, still the first seven years, I, w- I was like, man, I couldn't wait to get back here on Sunday night because I'm like, if that's what God's doing on a Sunday morning, I can only imagine what's going to happen on a Sunday night, right? And we get back on a Sunday night, and it would be like less people there than would normally be there on a Sunday night. I figured out y'all were all at Impact 58 last Sunday night. I leaned over to Pam. At, after so many of you weren't here last Sunday night and I leaned over to her and I said baby did we scare them away last Sunday night but anyway I figured it out what, where everybody was but the, what's the point I, I was expecting a record crowd and yet it was like nobody I'm like dude did y'all I'm thinking well maybe it was just me maybe I just enjoyed that service so I just kind of casually thought man how about that last Sunday morning service best service ever Pastor Mark I'm like I'm, not, I'm sitting there going so where were you Sunday night you know right and so that's been a mystery for me. And, and I, you know, I'm like, Lord, what? Help me. What am I doing? What's, what can I do better? What can I do different? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, he said, people who are only coming for what they can get out of it, they get all they want out of it on a Sunday morning. See? In other words, again, Sunday morning, got what I need, see you next week. Right? Right? Have I said enough tonight to know what's wrong with that? It's, not, it's all about me. It's all about you, right? It's all about what I can get out of it. It's all about what, what, what the Lord's doing for me, what I'm receiving. What you know, Even if people say, well, you know, I just didn't get a lot out of that this morning. Well, well right? It, but you see, that's the whole mindset. My brother, my sister, it's not just about what you get out. It's about what you put in. You know why, you know why so many marriage, marriages fail? It's because people are more interested in what they can get out of the marriage than what they can put into the marriage. Amen. Amen. So do you see, right, the difference, the shift in the mindset is that you know it's not, it's not just about coming for what I can get out of. Remember these classes now. These classes, I want you to be blessed. I want you to, be benef- to benefit from what you learn here. But this isn't about you. It's about you being able to effectively serve somebody else. It's about you being equipped, right? I'm the one, I don't know why, but God knows. He chose me to be pastor. Pastor, teacher is to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. So I'm here to equip you. Obviously, you're going to get a lot of your questions answered along the way. But the idea is for you to be equipped with answers to be able to give to somebody else. And this is where the growth is. This is where the development is. Amen. Well, praise God. I'm not sure all that came from other than I believe the Holy Spirit. So let me just keep moving along here. So <clears throat> we should live no longer for ourselves. Let me let me let me just say one more thing about that, okay? <clears throat> if you understand that the church is not a building, but that the church is a group of people the body of Christ Ephesians 2 says it Ephesians 1 says it this way the church which is his body the church comma which is his body okay so if you begin to think of being faithful to church not as being faithful to some religious duty or some religious establishment or some building or make sure we shake pastor Mark's hand so he knows we were there or wherever you go to church that pastor right but if you begin to realize that coming to church is about being faithful to the people. Right? It's about being there for your brothers and your sisters. Not to mention how much... Well, think about it, those of you who have children. Don't you love it when all your kids get together? Father, He loves it when His people get together. And the devil hates it, so that's why he fights it so hard. All right? But we're not living for ourselves anymore. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but live for Him who died for them and rose again. Okay? Therefore. Now, there's a couple of therefores and a now in these passages. I love, man, anytime I come across a verse that has a therefore, especially if it begins with a therefore, or that has a now in it, uh, my spiritual ears perk up, and I, I'm trying to impart that to you, okay? Because therefore means in light of what was just revealed, in light of what was just spoken. Because verse 14 and 15 are true, this should be a practical response from me and you, right? Therefore, in light of, from now on, okay? Now that's another notice we got now there, but he's, it's not just a now. Let me say it another way, from now moving forward, from this point forward. In other words, he's saying it's time to draw a line in the sand. There was a way that we used to operate, but we're not going to operate that anymore. We've drawn a line in the sand and we're stepping across that line and we're never going back. So what is that line he's saying we need to draw? From now on, in light of what we've just heard, we choose to regard no one according to the flesh. Regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now, yet now, there's that word again, we know him thus no longer. Now, let me tell you what he's saying here. He's building on something Jesus began to teach. Okay, and that, that was how um, Luke began uh, in, to, to speak to Theophilus, right? He says, Let me tell you all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Okay, So Jesus taught us not to judge. Now Paul is building on that by the Holy Spirit. And what he's referring to here is that we don't try to sum people up by their flesh. We don't try, obviously we don't judge people by the color of their skin. We don't judge people by the way they look, the clothes they wear, none of that. And, 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 and again, the devil's behind that. To bring division and all that kind of stuff. All right. But basically, what he's saying here is we can't tell a true person's, a person's true potential by how they look, by how they carry themselves, or even the, the most glaring thing that we almost feel we're justified in judging is a person's behavior. To judge someone according to the flesh is to judge them up, to make a to make a, a summary of, of, of who they are and what they have and, and, and their potential you know, based upon what they look like and what we've seen them do, what we've known of them to do. Now, he's saying that we can't do that. And he uses this sentence to enforce it when he says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. So, what he's talking about there is when Jesus came to this earth as a man, that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in that manger could not tell the whole story of who He was. A carpenter in Nazareth, the son of, of, of Mary and and. And of course, Joseph was his earthly father, but not wasn't conceived by Joseph. It's people looking at him. Remember those passages we look at in Isaiah 53? He was unassuming. Unassuming. And so Paul says, you know, when we first met Jesus, when people first encountered Him, there was no way just by looking at His physical body, His outward appearance, His outward flesh, that we could have ever understood the true potential that was in Him, and, and who He really was. Let me say it another way. There was much more to Jesus than met the eye, and there is much more to you and me tonight than meets the eye. And if we're going to... Um, there's a, a dear friend of mine. I think he took this class seven or nine times. I've got it somewhere in my notes. He's with Jesus now. And if they, if they do such as this in heaven... Um, and the Lord's Bible says they're in a grandstand and they watch us and cheer us on. So if he's not preoccupied doing something, he's probably watching this class tonight. Amen. And it's my dear brother Hiawatha Sheffield. And oh how the Lord blessed uh, uh, me, uh, amen, with that with that brother. And I had the honor of of preaching his funeral. And <clears throat> I was I was he carried himself with such excellence. Um he, he was always immaculately dressed. But a lot of people who do that, they come across as being prideful or arrogant. And and with Hiawatha, because of the heart that was in him, it was a reflection of the excellent spirit that he had. And people were drawn to him. Children were, were drawn to him in his, in his suit and tie and, and polished shoes and, 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 and all of these things. But at his funeral, I, I talked about, I said, I said the, the outward part of him could never fully and accurately reveal who he was inwardly. He came as close as, as, as about anybody I've ever known of of truly uh, uh, reflecting that inward reality of the new birth in, in his life and his. Um, he was a, a, a counselor at the foundry for many years, and um, and his nickname there, no joke, was the apostle of love, and 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 man, just the. If you've ever been loved by Hiawatha Sheffield, you've been, you've been loved just like Jesus Himself was loving you. But what I, the route I went to, maybe I'm spending too much time here, but I'm loving giving my brother some honor, and, and he's not forgotten, and he's not in my past, he's in my future, was that the spirit that was inside of him, right, it, it, would, be like, it would be like trying to take, um, you know, Dolby surround sound and play it through an AM radio. It would be like taking a 4K high definition video and and trying to play it through an old black and white television. Our outward part does not have the circuitry or the capacity to fully reveal who we are in Christ right here, right now. Now, discipleship, is about bringing that inward reality of the new birth into an outward expression of life. And we'll talk about that in greater detail. We'll talk about that in greater detail. But one of the key ways that we do that as disciple makers is refusing to regard someone according to their appearance or behavior but choosing to refer to them and see them as who they truly are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Nor is the, the, the greatest um, honor and compliment that I can give you is to treat you and respond to you as who I know you to be in Christ, not, not by how your behavior may be uh, you know, not reflecting that right now. Am I, is anybody picking up what I'm putting down in here? And so this, this, is, the, this is the concept, of, this is the truth of what he's saying. Just like we, there was more to Jesus than met the eye, we, we can't look at a person's outward appearance um, and, and, and determine all there is to know about them. Right? Why is that? Well, another therefore. Because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation... Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, this word new here is unique. In the original language, there are two uh, you know, primary words uh, that are translated into our singular English word, new. And those two Greek words have this distinction. One is referring to something that is big word like mayonnaise, quantitatively new, okay? So, if something is quantitatively new, this would be like the next one in line. Amen. So, have you ever told someone that you got a new car, but that car was maybe eight years old, but it was new to you, okay? That's quantitatively new. It's, it's new in the sense that it's the next one in line. Um, I guess sometime I don't, I don't know a lot about these things, but, but like Chevrolet and Ford, they'll be releasing the new model year. Again, even if it's brand spanking new, it's still um, something that is quantitatively new. In other words, it's just an, another Ford. It may be a different Ford, but it's another Chevrolet. So it may be a different Chevrolet, but it's another Chevrolet. Right? So another one in line, another one in order. That's the concept of something being quantitatively new. This word is not quantitatively new. This word in the original language is the other word used to express a different kind of newness. And that is something that would be qualitatively new. Okay. So again, the root word here is quality. It's of a different kind. It's a, it, it's, in other words, when, when He says that He made you a new creation, you could literally say, He he made you something that you were not before, amen, and that nobody else has been other than the seed from which you were born, amen. So this is not just, how do I say this, praise God. See, a lot of times when we we think a new creation, we think refurbished. Anybody ever bought something refurbished? Factory factory refreshed, factory refurbished. Well, again, it comes with a warranty. I buy stuff like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes we think that that's what it means that Jesus just kind of cleaned us up a little bit, gave us a good scrubbing down, gave us a good bath, you know, gave us an infusion of strength and spirit, and now we're ready to go again. Absolutely not. The person you were before died with Him. This is why we have to die with Him. We died with Him. We were buried with Him. And then we were raised up. The old person we were, the old creation that we were was left in an unmarked grave and we come up out of that grave with Jesus, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We'll dig into this at a future date. But what we have to understand here and we see it from other Scriptures. Let me me put the brakes on here for a moment. Remember what we said lots of different avenues of scripture are intersecting here lots of different truths are found all linked together in these verses strategically so and so like you just look if one died for all then all died well it doesn't say anything about crucified with Christ buried with Christ seated with Christ that's all on that road if we go from that intersection and and trace that road And we'll do it. We'll see everything that led us to that point. If we get on this new creation and how we became a new creation and what it means to be in Christ Jesus and how we wound up being in Christ Jesus through the new birth. Well, again, that's another road. It's intersected here. He's not giving us every detail about our salvation. Are you following what I'm saying? Those are covered elsewhere in Scripture. They're mentioned here. All building towards... The minute I started pointing to it, it's not on the screen anymore. All building towards this ministry of reconciliation. Notice, therefore, now, so now, therefore, he's building, leading up to this crescendo, if you will, that you've been reconciled to God because of all of this and have been given that ministry of reconciliation. Okay? So, with that said, there are things that just on this verse alone... It doesn't quote-unquote say that. But there's, there's answers here and there's questions. So if old things passed away and all things became new, why does it seem like some things haven't changed? Well, what you're going to see in Scripture is that there was a part of you that was born again and there was a part of you that wasn't born again. Amen. Uh, my flesh, for instance, was not born again. That, in other words, if, if, if you had brown eyes before you were born again, you had brown eyes after you were born again. That's not what he's referring to when he says all things become new. And because I think we don't understand that difference, that this verse doesn't carry the weight and impact that it should carry with us. Amen. Everybody still awake? Yes. Praise God. So, amen. Let's just move on from there. So, not only have all things become new, Now, if you read it tomorrow, if you read it six weeks from today, now all things are of God. My brother, my sister, before your new birth, all things in you were not of God. That dead spirit in you, God didn't birth a dead spirit in you. Amen. Sin, being born of Adam's corrupted seed, is what birthed that in you. But that's not in you anymore. That nature is not in you anymore. And I know people get angry, at least not at the spirit level of your being. It left an imprint in your mind. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's not that person doesn't live inside of you anymore. So now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Now, man, we've been plowing tonight. Are y'all good? Let's pause for a moment. I've got it deeper in my notes. This word reconcile, what exactly does it mean? Well, if, let me give you the definition and then we'll try to use some practical examples. It simply means to reestablish a close relationship between, to re-establish a close relationship between. Now, it's corny, but I'm not trying to be funny, I'm trying to imprint your mind, your thinking, okay? So, the word justified, justified, okay, The way to understand what that means is simply this. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Okay? Now, reconcile is God saying reckons I'll be friends with them again. Okay? Now again, it's corny. I'm not trying to be funny or clever even. I'm trying so you can understand what's going on here, okay? Dr. Neil Anderson, that's one of my favorite quotes from him, he says that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, reconciliation. Okay. God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, reconciliation. I, I simplify that Amen? Um, yes, sir. Reconcile is to reestablish a close relationship between. i got to slide on it in a minute, too, and we'll stick it up there. All right. <clears throat> so, Dr. Anderson, again, God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, reconciliation. Here is how Pastor Mark says that. You ready? Daddy wants his kids back. Daddy wants his kids back. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Amen. Now, maybe someone in this room, okay, or maybe you know somebody that had some trouble spots in their marriage and they separated. But then they reconciled. Meaning what? The the relationship was, was they lived separately for a while, but they they worked it out, and now they're back together in that close union, that close relationship. So, it's not just, to split the hair here, it's not just establishing a relationship, it's reestablishing it. Now, why is that important? Why why are we bearing down on that? Um, It's because, first of all, that's what it is. That's what it means, and words mean something. But also, it gives us this bigger picture. Because as far as Father God is concerned, you're being re-established in a close relationship with Him. Meaning what? He, at one point, has already had a close relationship with you. And that was in the Garden of Eden with Adam. And even before that, when He saw you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. Your Creator Father had an emotional attachment to you before you were ever created. He already gave you gifts. Remember, we've talked about this. He gave you purpose and grace. In Christ Jesus, before time began. kind of takes me back to Pam started buying stuff for our grandchildren before... Our daughter was even pregnant. I don't think I'm exaggerating it. There were probably a couple of things that we bought for our grandchildren before she was even married. Okay, in other words, we loved them before we knew them. I prayed for I prayed for grandchildren. I prayed for my grandchildren before I ever saw them. I'm praying for my son's grandchildren. He's not married yet. Doesn't have kids yet. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And and so, Father God loved you and was excited about you and was giving you stuff before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. That's how much He loves you. And of course, we were born into sin. We were born with a dead spirit separated from Him. But thank God for Jesus. Amen? So, reconciliation is about reestablishing, being reestablished in a close relationship with God. Now, if, if you would, for just a moment, would, would you and I, if you're watching online and you have to say it to your cat or your dog or something like that, would, would you mind just telling a few people around, just look them in the eye and tell them, "I've been reconciled to God. Just, just, amen, just, just, just tell them. Amen. Amen, I, I, I've been reconciled. I've been reconciled to God. Amen. Amen. So, notice, notice the tense in verse 18. Who has reconciled us? Who has reconciled us? Watch me very carefully, okay? I was preaching one night, and the Lord just sometimes, He just likes to surprise. Anybody like to surprise, give folks surprises and stuff? Man, you're, listen, you need to get to know him better and better and better. He loves to just do things surprise you, right? And so, um, we were talking about, you know, the scriptures say that we've been made one with God. <laughs> one, in other words, when we say reconciled, you know, it's not just that, okay, you know, you can live in my same neighborhood, but just don't bother me or something. No, that's not it, right? And I was, I was going to make this point. I was going to say that you and God, me and God, I was going to say, man, me and God are just like this. That's, that's not accurate, right? Me and God are just like this. I've become one spirit with Him is what the Bible says. Amen. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's so important for you to understand that you've been reconciled to Jesus because you having been reconciled to Him provides the platform for you to become this minister of reconciliation in His name. I think it was class 1 when I told you it takes a disciple to make a disciple. Jesus didn't just tell us to go make born-again people. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. You can't be a disciple maker if you're not a disciple yourself. And in order for you to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, number one, you absolutely have to be reconciled to God. But there's a whole lot of folks who have been reconciled to God, but they don't realize that they've been reconciled to God. They still see themselves as, you know, trying to work their way back into God's good graces and, and some, days he's, some days he's happy with them, some days he's mad at them, and hopefully he'll come back on one of the good days when he's happy with them, blah, blah, blah. And that's so far from the truth. It is this internal personal revelation that I have been reconciled to God, and the, and the love that God has shown to me to reconcile me to Himself, and then from that realizing that if He loved me enough to reconcile me to Himself, He wants other people to be reconciled to Him also. And so now, Father, sign me up to go help you in this ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. Now, verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All right, here is another doctrinal avenue, here is another truth road that's intersecting here. If you try to take this out of context, as people have done and continue to do, they will tell you that everybody's going to heaven, that we're all God's children, because right here in the Bible, Pastor Mark, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So the whole world's been reconciled to God. Okay, That's what a lot of people think. But just based on this verse, you, you've got to look at that whole road of truth. You've got to trace... Th- does the Bible have other things to say about this? You better know it does. Alright? Now, here is, though, why this is important and why it's included here. Not to confuse us, but again, several things intersecting here because we need to see all of these things connected together as a collected whole. Not just... Bits and pieces and parts and and sections, but a connected whole. So here is the doctrinal truth that we find here in these verses. And it's one that the book of Hebrews contains the most information about, and that is the truth of one sacrifice for all sin for all time. One sacrifice. Jesus was and is one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. If someone in this class tonight said, Pastor Mark, you're talking about this, Jesus, I've never been born again. I need to get born again right now. Okay, That would even perhaps be better than the night Sister Betty came last year and it's had to get healed right now. Praise God. Had to have me and her agree together. Hallelujah. And I was happy to do it. Right? Now, with Jesus... Let me let me back up. Let me let me say, ask the question a different way. What would Jesus have to do for somebody to get born again in this room, in this moment, right now? Have to do nothing. Right? He's already done it. He's already done it. So we see that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Part of your salvation is something called propitiation. Propitiation. Or some, it's a hard T, you can pronounce it both ways. Propitiation. And what that simply means is that Jesus took the punishment for you, He absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. It is one of those key salvation terms that we'll break down. um, Justified is another one, we mentioned it tonight. Redeemed is another one. We mentioned. Uh, we didn't mention that tonight, but I should have mentioned it, so I will, I will right now. In the Old Testament, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Okay? But our redemption was for the greater purpose of reconciliation. In other words, He paid your debt so that you could be reconciled to Him. So as, I have no problem with you as a born-again believer in the New Testament saying, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Sing it, shout it, tell anybody to listen to you. But you haven't just been redeemed, my friend. You've been reconciled. So let the reconciled of the Lord say so. Amen. Let the reconciled say so. So again, these words, propitiation, redeem, justification, justified, reconciliation, all of these are key salvation terms. All of them mean something different, but they're a, they're a part of that salvation package in what Jesus has done for you. Thank God for what He's done for you. Alright? But what we see in 1 John not sure the chapter, maybe two, don't look it up, it's fine, is that He's not just the propitiation for the sins of those who've been born again, but He is the propitiation for the sins of the entire world. See, the good news that we have to go tell people is that Jesus has already paid for your sins so you don't have to. It amazes me how many folks think the good news that they have to go tell the world is that you're going to hell. My friend, that's bad news. Tell them the good news first. If they don't want to hear the good news, then let them know that if they don't accept the good news, there's some bad news coming, but they don't have to have that bad news. How about the good news? So that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's huge right there. That's huge. That's huge. One sacrifice for all sin, for all time. I know we got caught up prematurely, but right on time, at the same time. Last, beginning of last class, talking about if you say you have no sin, you, the truth's not in you, but if you're if you born a, of God, His seed abides in you, and you cannot sin, you'll never understand that unless you understand spirit, soul, and body. Um, but this passage right here, when it says, well, let me stop. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I, I, keep, I keep doing it, but it's amen. I, I'm, I'm trying to answer questions, but if you hadn't figured it out by now, as we answer some questions, it creates more questions. Yes? Okay. So just, just that's why I ask you at the beginning just sit tight, please. Just, just hang on. Amen. But see, when you were born again, All of your sin wasn't just wasn't was not only forgiven, it was forgiven, but it wasn't only forgiven. All of your sin was taken away from you. He's no longer keeping record of it. It's not who you are. This word not imputing their trespasses to them, that means he's not keeping a record of it anymore. As far as God is concerned, there's only one sin that'll send a man or a woman to hell. And that's the sin of rejecting Jesus. That's a, that. See, now let me. I'm, I can only imagine how that's bugging some of you because as many years as I've been preaching this, there's still a little twinge in me. You know, I'm sitting there, Father, you know, should I really be hollering that out here like that? It's the truth. I can show it to you in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. It's rejecting Jesus. Because all the sin of mankind has been paid for. There's not a single sin that ever has been committed or ever will be committed on planet earth that Jesus has not paid the price for. That's why equating the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil is a sin that can't be forgiven. Don't freak out. I've had people ask me all the time, you think I've committed that sin, Pastor Mark? I'm like, you wouldn't be asking me if you had, first of all, right? But we way overthink it. You can't call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. If you think the Holy Spirit's the devil, you're in a heap of trouble because you think the, the only one who can help you call on Jesus and receive salvation, you've dismissed him as Satan himself. That's you, Again, see, that's back to that rejection of Jesus. Alright? Not imputing means it's it's an accounting term. Not keeping record their trespasses to them and has committed to us so notice while he's not committing to their charge their trespasses he has committed to us those who are born again the word of Reconciliation. That's going to take some explaining, probably two classes. No joke. Um, The word of reconciliation is the word of God, okay? So don't don't be confused by that. But this ministry that you've been given, that maybe just now, tonight, you're finding out about, (laughs) Father God gave you what you need to be effective in that ministry His word. His Holy Spirit's already in you by the new birth, right? So He gave you the Holy Spirit through the new birth, and now to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation, He's committed to you. He's, he's put in your hands the word of reconciliation. Alright, can we, can we push on a little bit more? Amen. 2 Corinthians. So now we're at verse number 20. I feel like everybody needs to take a deep breath. Are y'all Okay? why do we i mean even at work it's, it's yeah. all right so for number 1 for for a couple of reasons so the same bible that tells us he's not keeping a record of it also tells us that if we sin, we need to confess it to Him and even other people. Confess your faults one to another. I don't recommend you doing that to just any old person, but you need to have somebody close enough to you in your life that when you're struggling with something, you can tell them, and they're not going to judge you. They're going to love you and pray for you, and then tell you what they're struggling with, and you love them and pray for them. And it takes that stuff out of secret zone, darkness zone, shadow zone, into the light where Father God and the Holy Spirit can help you, right? But the same Bible that tells us he's not keeping a record also tells us that we need to confess it. Right? Because sin still has consequences. Right? I mean, but here, here, is, here is, and this is what I mean by we're, we're, we're early on these things because there's a lot of stuff here, and I just make some statement like that, and I, I know 100%, 1000% it's true. Now, this would be. Laying that wall, and we got a whole, we got, we got 42 dump truck loads of truth to backfill. That, you know, going to, you you know what I'm saying? To, to show you that, and so I'm not trying to just give you some shock value statement. But remember, the theme of tonight is the different doctrinal avenues that intersect here and why. Okay. And, and what qualifies you as a minister of reconciliation? And what have you been given to be effective as a minister of reconciliation? And, and so, these things. But let me just, if I will, let me make this one comment. <clears throat> In our walk and relationship with our Creator Father, Jesus came and made a blood covenant as your substitutionary representative with His Father on your behalf. He represented you. He was your advocate. He represented you. He didn't just die for you, He died as you. When He died, you died. When He was buried, you were buried. Okay? And that covenant is legally binding. Legally binding. Amen. Now, let's try to use something on this earth to help us maybe get close enough to take a leap of faith and really embrace this. The closest thing on planet earth to what Father God has and desires to have with you and me is the relationship between a husband and wife. That relationship is a relationship created by a covenant made before God. And that covenant entered into by a man and a woman before God creates an opportunity for Father God to come and do a miracle. And that is to take those two men and women and make that, that man that woman, those two people, and make them one. Make them one. Okay. That's why the Bible says, "What God has joined together, let no man put asunder." It's 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 it is it's a covenant, and it's sacred, and so it's it's it represents the covenant Jesus made. That's why we're the bride of Christ. That's know, that makes guys uncomfortable sometimes. Amen. But again, he's talking about this oneness that now exists because of this covenant. And if you've been born again, you have that oneness. And you have that oneness based upon what Jesus did for you. Not what you've done, what He's done as your substitute, as your representative. Are you you hearing me this evening? This is important now. So, it's it's legally binding. And it can't be broken. It can't be broken. But now, let's, let's... Again, Pam and I were married uh, 32 years uh, this past July. And so, on July the 10th, 1987, we entered into a legally binding covenant. Not just with the state of Alabama. Certainly, we did that. We got the marriage license and that. But when I talk about legal, I'm not just talking about legal in man's eyes. Legal in God's eyes. We became man and wife. Husband and wife. Okay. So that's the legal basis for our relationship. But the other side of that coin, if, if, if it's a coin and one side of it, again, I'm trying to give you a mental picture. If one side of that coin says legal on it, covenant on it, okay, flip it over and the other side says vital on it. It says fellowship on it. I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody that is legally married but is not vitally connected to their husband or their wife. Vital by life. You see the difference here now. In other words, it's one thing to have a contract that says we're married. It's another thing for us, you know, I, I, when I was dating Pam, they, they lived on, a, on the corner and the, the road that went down beside their house was down the hill. And people parked on the road in their neighborhood in those days. And if all the road spots were taken or if it was, you know, I wouldn't get her dad's spot and that sort of thing, I'd park down the hill. And um, sometimes on an anniversary, I tell her, I, I said, baby, I still run up the hill to see you, right? Because I, man, I get out of my car, I'd be like sprinting up the hill, couldn't wait to see her, right? Amen. See, that's vital. That, that, that's not legal, that's vital. You see the difference. Passion, intimacy, enjoy one another's company. That's vital. That's fellowship. That's union. That's communion. You see the difference here. So if you can understand that with, with a man and a woman. So again, there's a lot of folks who have a legal binding relationship if you will that's why I don't even like the word relationship I prefer fellowship But they have a legally binding contract that makes them in, in right, standing right relationship with God the Father but they have very little intimacy they have very little fellowship they have very little communion union they, they don't even know that it's possible for them to enjoy His presence and Him enjoy theirs so forth and so on I'll give you one more example right I'm David and Brenda Winslet's seed I could change my name deny them, move to the other side of the planet. They find my body in a ditch and pull DNA out of my arm. Guess whose son I am? Because I'm born of their seed. But again, it's one thing for me to be born of their seed. It's another thing for me to have fellowship with my Father. And there are things that I can do that will make that fellowship with Him sweeter and more enjoyable and more precious. And there are things that I can do that will drive a wedge between us and make that fellowship strained at best. Doesn't change that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Doesn't change that I'm his son. You follow what I'm saying? I could ignore Pam and, you know, become a workaholic like I'm sometimes tempted to be, and all these other things. Right? It wouldn't. It wouldn't affect the covenant that we have. But it would sure affect the fellowship. You see the difference there? Now. Where, where is the joy in my life with Pam? It's not in the legal, it's in the vital. You follow what I'm saying? You know, it's like, baby, just make me a copy of that marriage license, I'll hang it on my wall and just stay down here at the church the rest of my life. Every time I look at that that, that marriage license, I'll just think about you. you know, are you kidding me? No way, dude. Right? It's, it's the fellowship, it's the union, it's 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 being with her. That's that's the joy. That's the the joy is in the vital, is in, in the fellowship, not just in the in the in the legal aspect of this. Amen. Are you are you okay? So we confess our sin because sin can affect our fellowship. Amen. Right? If, if I knock one of her dishes off a shelf and break it, you know? Which I've done before. I mean, I'm not proud of it. Amen. Praise God. Well, I need to tell her that. Hey, darling, you know that antique that you like that was probably worth $400? I'm so sorry, sweetie. I didn't mean to do it. Right? I skinned her Denali up the other day. Ooh, Lord. Just a little one, just a little one, right? But, I know, man, I know, right? Everybody's looking back at you, Pam. She's just smiling. She was in there with me. Amen. But again, right? I'm going to go hiding stuff from her. You you follow what I'm saying? Doing things that I know she doesn't appreciate. Amen. It's going to affect our fellowship, just like it's going to affect your fellowship with God, or it's going to affect my, my fellowship with my parents. Amen. So, what all of this does is it provides this platform for us. Reconciles us. The reason one sacrifice for all sin. See, in the Old Testament those folks who commit sin, they would offer uh, an animal sacrifice and it would cover over that sin and then the next time they sinned, there was no more sacrifice to cover it. You ever been in an on-again, off-again relationship with somebody? Is that like, that's, almost, that's like worse than not having a friend. The up and down, the disappointment, the back and forth. See, Father God was tired of an on-again, off-again relationship with us. That's the other thing that I'm going to teach you in all this. You will never understand it only looking at it from your perspective. You have to understand the heart of Father God. You have to understand how desperately He loves you. You have to understand you're the apple of His eye. He sings over you while you sleep at night. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows about sin that you haven't committed yet. And He loves you anyway. And He wants you. He longs for you. Would to God? We long for Him the way He longs for us. And so He's done all of this for us. It's not like I said to God, look now, you either take away all my sin or don't take any of them. That's my deal garden, I'm holding, I'm sticking to my guns. You know, you either, you either make me one with you or don't even bother saving me. I had nothing to do with any of that. This was all His doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's what He wanted. It's the fellowship that He longed for. It's the reconciliation that He longed for. And so, I'm not going to sit here and question why He did it. I'm going to be thankful that He did it. But listen to me what He has done. He has made it so that my sin can never separate me from Him ever again. can't separate me from Him anymore. Nothing can separate me from Him ever again. And He rests in that. That is what the luxury of Jesus' is sacrifice and the, 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 the extravagant grace that we've been given. That's, that's what it bought and paid for. So now it's just an upward call. It's just an upward call. Just more and closer, more and closer. Learning from Him, walking with Him, humbling myself before Him. Do I still make mistakes? Yes. This is what I learned a long time ago when I made more mistakes than I make now, committed more sin than I commit now. Is that He was more ready and willing to forgive me than I was ready and willing to ask Him to. I want to kick myself wallow around in it for a few days, you know, finally get around to confessing and asking him to forgive me. You know, he was like wanting to forgive me the the second it happened so we could put it behind us and move on. Right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. I, I and God is love. I mean, we just again, we own and own and own with these things. You want to, you want to drive the devil crazy? You want, you want to just like really mess him up? should you ever sin again, stop wherever you were when you did it, confess to your Father, Father God, I, I should not have done that, I should not have said that, I should not have looked at that, I, sh- I should not have taken that, I should. whatever. Father, that was wrong. It's sin. Sin hinders my fellowship with You. I confess it. I ask You to forgive me. And You said in Your Word that if I confess it, You would be faithful and just to forgive me, cleanse me. So thank You, Father, that I'm forgiven and cleansed and then move forward like it never happened, and you will absolutely ruin the devil's day. The devil's the one that wants you to wallow in that. The devil's the one that wants you to kick yourself. The devil's the one that wants you to speak all that negativity and doubt and hate, self-hatred against yourself. Let me remind you too. Mm, Praise God. i got to go back up. <clears throat> from now on we regard no one according to the flesh that includes the person you look at in the mirror every morning if there was more to Jesus than meets the eye then there's more to you than meets the eye that's the, that's the biblical principle here so when you look at yourself in the morning don't, amen like, golly there stands a royal priesthood <laughs> who would have thunk it ah, that's a king looking back at me in that mirror this morning alright praise God now then where were we I think we can move on from there now then who wants to do it for me <laughs> if you read it tomorrow tomorrow now. But well, what if I make a mis- What if I sin tonight? Is it going to be different tomorrow? Now then, present condition. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Good to see you this evening, Ambassador Hazel. Amen. 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 Come on now. Am I right about it, Ambassador Lee? Come on, give me a little shout out over there, brother. Is Ambassador Brazil in the building? How about Ambassador Reynolds back there? Amen. Ambassador Lister, it's great to see you tonight. I haven't been sitting that far back. You've been sitting a little closer. I didn't see you back there. Praise God. Amen. Well, we say brother and sister and pastor and all Why not ambassador? I think we ought to start maybe using some of this terminology. Not because we're trying to be arrogant and prideful, but because we need to be reminded of this. We need to renew our minds to this. We need to begin to see ourselves. Ambassador Wilson, praise God, up on a commercial construction site representing the King of Kings. Amen. It's an ambassador. Remember last week we said we're in this world, we're not of it. What does an ambassador for the United States do? An ambassador for the United States represents the interest of the United States in other countries. And that ambassador doesn't go over there to speak whatever he or she decides is what they're going to say. Or just, you know, fly off the handle and say whatever I want to say. No, they get us in a war over there in Iran or wherever. You know what I'm saying. No, no, that's not how it works. An ambassador has committed to them a word to speak. They're told what to say. And by the way, all their expenses are paid for by the government that sends them. Come on now. Praise God. You're an ambassador for the King. You represent Him. You represent His interests. We are all a part of Father's business in the earth. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us to imp- as, God, as though God were pleading through us. In other words, what is He saying here? God's speaking to people through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Back to the substitutionary work. So you'll see all this is a package with a common thread. For He made Him... The first He is speaking of God the Father. For God the Father made Him... The second pronoun is referring to Jesus. For God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Wow. Alright, I want to bless you with these same verses tonight. and I think we've got time to do this. We've got a few more minutes. Is it just me or is this class going by very fast? Alright. I want to give you these same verses. And I've never done this. Um, this will be the first time. But I just felt so compelled. Um, I want to give you these same verses from the Passion Translation. And see, see, just matter of fact, if, let's do this. Don't try to follow along. I'll put them on the screen. You can see them on the screen, okay? I just want you to kind of just get, just kind of settle for a moment. Really bring your heart to attention. Really kind of just get focused in. And just let the Holy Spirit. You ever been like maybe in the shallow part of the surf and just something just kind of wash over you? I mean, not like a wave knock you down. I'm talking about just feels good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Just I want just you like, just let this be kind of like a, a gentle wave of truth. Just let it wash over you. Okay, same verses, but this time from the Passion Translation. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us, because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. This means all died with Him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him, the One who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the Anointed One, but no longer do we see Him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the Anointed One that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. For God made the only One who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. Praise the name of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, mm-mm. Praise God. Alright, I promised you a definition. Let's do this. Here's the definition. I gave you the first part of it. To, re- to reestablish a close relationship between. To reestablish a close relationship between. Alright? But the word reconcile again has Some deeper meanings that we're going to get into. You got a few more minutes? This word reconcile also means to make compatible or consistent. To make compatible or consistent. Okay? Now, to show you as you're writing how that relates back to. Fellowship, union. Um, compatibility in a is pretty important, right? You ever tried to have a working relationship, friendship, romantic relationship, whatever, with somebody? You just weren't compatible with that person. For whatever reason, it doesn't make them a bad person. or Are you a good one or vice versa? It's just for whatever reason, you know, you can't stand people who smack and she just smacked every time she ate <laughs> anything. Right? I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <So it's, laughs> I don't know where that came from. But anyway, praise God. Just Whatever reason, maybe it's something superficial or something much deeper than that, you just weren't compatible. You just weren't compatible. See, the Bible says as born-again believers, we, the world has a different spirit in them than we have in us. And, and that there's no fellowship there. There's no, there's no compatibility there. That's why you should not become unequally yoked together with someone who is not a born-again believer. Unequally yoked. That yoke is Y-O-K-E. It's an implement that takes like two oxen and joins them together. And the, and the Scriptures pure, you know, specifically pointed out that it was wrong to yoke two animals together, like you wouldn't want to put an oxen and a goat in the same yoke, right? Because they're not compatible with one another. Now you can put an older oxen that knows the ropes uh, and a younger oxen alongside one another, and that younger oxen can learn from the older one. They're compatible. that One knows a little more than the other. They don't, but that younger one may be a little stronger than the older one. You, you see how that works, right? But there's some differences there, but, but compatibility enables them to both benefit from those differences as opposed to being incompatible. Amen. So, yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen. Some of you know Wes Johnson. He's perhaps one of the biggest Alabama fans I've ever known. Wes, dear friend of mine for, for many, many years. And um and he was, you know, we were praying together for some years for a wife, and and um somebody said that uh Wes's wife was number one gonna have to be. Born again in spirit field. Number two is going to have to be an Alabama fan in that order. I said, no. No. I said, if she pulls for Auburn, it don't matter if she speaks in tongues or not. He, see, right? You follow what I'm saying? Amen. Now, it, it was partly joke, but it's, it's building on what Sister Betty said. First thing is, does this person know the Lord? If this person doesn't know the Lord, you got no, there's, you're not a missionary dater, okay? Don't, don't even think about it, okay? Alright? But even then, ask the Lord, right? Because just because somebody's born again, that doesn't mean you're going to be compatible with that person. Now, obviously, there's, there's um, compatibility on you know, as far as both being born again, what have you. Um, I'm saying all this to say, that when you were born again, you became compatible with God. Again. Amen. Same Spirit in Him, same Spirit in you. Now, we get confused by this because our flesh has been so dominant and the carnal mind has been so dominant. But your spirit wants the same things He wants. Your born-again spirit enjoys the same things that God the Father enjoys. Amen. That's true. That's true. Remember Jesus? They wanted, Jesus wanted His disciples to pray with Him and they said they would pray and then they kept going to sleep and Jesus said, the Spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. Now they weren't even born again yet, but they had, had been influenced enough by Jesus that there really was a part of them that wanted to do it. Really was a part of them. So, Your born again spirit has been made compatible with God again. You, you, and and Father get along really well now. Amen. Praise God. All right, to make compatible or consistent. Now, consistent is another thing, right? That that we got to get some things lined up to check against another for accuracy. Reconcile means to check against another for accuracy. When you reconcile a checkbook, we've talked about it here, haven't we? Yes? No? Okay. So, the idea is you have the part of the checkbook that where you this is how much money you think you have, but then when you reconcile it is you you check that against the bank statement for accuracy. Accuracy. And then I like this Last part. To establish harmony between. To establish harmony between. Okay? Colossians 1. I'll read this and we'll pray. Verse 19. We'll begin here next Wednesday. Colossians 1 and 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, and in Him here again, capital H is Jesus, It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of His cross and you. Okay? Now, this is another one of those important phrases because this one here is not so much talking about in light of what was just said but this is This is, uh, He's talking to you. This is, you need to personalize this. And you, who once were alienated. To alienate means what? Separate. Who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That word holy means set apart. That word blameless means without spot or blemish. And that word above reproach means, you ready? Unaccusable. You have been so thoroughly reconciled to God that not only are you set apart from your sin, not only are you without any record or blemish or spot from sin that you can't even be accused of sinning anymore. Amen. Romans 8 says the only one qualified to bring an accusation against you happens to be your attorney. In other words, the only one qualified to bring accusation is Jesus and he, He's on your side. He's not trying to accuse you. You know why He's qualified to bring accusation? Because He lived on this earth without sin. <laughs> right? He lived on this earth without sin. So if anybody, you know, that took that excuse away, right? Well, God, everybody's doing it. Jesus didn't. (laughs) Right? Nobody ever lived without sin, God. That's not fair. Jesus lived without sin. So He's qualified to accuse us, but aren't you glad? He's not accusing us. He is 24-7 pleading our case. His blood speaks better things over you and me. Praise God. You get anything out of this? Yes. All right, let me pray for you, Father. We've covered a lot of ground tonight by just really looking at a handful of verses, Father, in 2 Corinthians 5. So much truth concentrated right there, Lord, intersecting right there. Father, all coming together to reveal this jewel that is the ministry of reconciliation. That you have now committed and given to every person in this room, watching online, the sound of my voice, every born again believer, Father. Help us embrace this, Lord. Help us, Father, lean into this, not not pull back from this. Again, we may look at ourselves according to the flesh and say, Not me, no way, I can't do that. I don't even know what that means. But Lord, You told us. And we're drawing that line in the sand. From this point forward, we regard no person according to their flesh. Father, I thank You for Your blessing upon these men and women. I thank You, Lord, that You're not just speaking to us, You're speaking through us. You're not just ruling over us, You're ruling through us. And You have called us and positioned us to be co-laborers together with You. So Father, as Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be Your name. And may Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Praise God.